0: have your bibles i'm going to ask you to take them and go ahead and turn to the book of first john chapter one and in a few moments we'll begin reading in verse five before we do i want to ask a question and i will remind you that confession is good for the soul okay <laughs> so honesty is the the name of the game here have you ever messed up so badly that you wished with everything that you had in you, you could go back and just do everything all over. Yeah, I see your hand, and I raise you one. (laughs) Maybe it was a friendship. Maybe it was an assignment. Maybe it was a work project. Maybe it was a home renovation project. Whatever the case may be, You made such a mess of it, you simply wish you could go back and just start all over, start from scratch. It reminds me of something a long, long time ago when I was in elementary school. And I know my students like to remind me how old I am, uh, but I realize in in this, I'm not quite as old, so it sounds weird. But a long, long time ago when I was in elementary school, there was this teaching tool that teachers had called a chalkboard Look something like this. And some of you are like, yeah. I say elementary school because by the time I got to, like, middle school, high school, those had been replaced with these things called whiteboards. And now these guys have electronic whiteboards. I mean, it's just crazy. But back in the day, we had chalkboards. And you know the thing about chalkboards was after the teacher had written on it and she erased, it, it was erased, but there was still some residue from the chalk on the board. And so at the end of the day, what the teacher would have to do was take a rag, dip it in some water. Well, if she was smart, she got a student to get a rag, dip it in some water, and wipe that board clean. You say, well, Pastor Joe, why in the world are you going back to the history of chalkboards? Well, what is the point? Here's why I tell you that story. There's a phrase in the English language that many people really don't understand or understand where it comes from. And the phrase is this, clean slate. You've heard that phrase before. I'd like a clean slate. You see, chalkboards were often referred to as slate. And they weren't just used in school classrooms. In fact, the greatest use, the most predominant use, were found in bars and taverns, where bartenders would keep a running tab of their customer's tab. And once the, the, the ta- customer had paid off their tab, they would literally take something and they would wipe it clean, literally wiping away their debt. And so that's where we get this phrase, wipe the slate clean from. And you go, why in the world are you taking time this morning to go back to the past and explain all of that phrase? It's really quite simple. You see, I think every one of us, at one point or time and another, have so messed up our lives with God that we have longed for a clean slate. We have longed for God just to wash and wipe it all away so that we could start all over. We've longed for A clean slate. Can you relate to that? Have you ever been there? Struggled so bad, made so much of a mess of your life that God, please, I I need a clean slate. I need to start all over. I need a fresh start. You ready for the spoiler alert? You can have one. You can get one. And I know I went ahead and spoiled the ending, but here's what I want us to do. I want you to see how it's possible, and why it's possible. And the hope is that as we walk through this passage, that God is going to show you that not only can you have it, but how you can have it. 1 John chapter 5 is where we're going to be. John writes this letter to a group of uh, believers living near the end of the first century, about 50 or 60 years after Jesus had died. He writes to a group of believers who'd been through a pretty traumatic experience. You see, false teachers had infiltrated the church and begun teaching heresy. And it had so disrupted the fellowship. There were those who had believed it. It was like an atom bomb went off in the middle of their church. And those who put their faith in what these false teachers were teaching actually left the church. Their church was then divided and split. And so John writes this letter to encourage those believers. He encourages them, hey, don't give up, don't quit, it's not hopeless. And he he encourages them, but at the same time, he teaches them truth. He says, this is how you can know those who do have a real relationship with Jesus and those who don't. And it's in the middle of this letter that we will find John reveal to us what God has to say about getting a clean slate with him. 1 John chapter 1, look with me beginning there in verse 5. <clears throat> this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. I want to pause right there for a brief moment because the first truth that I want you to see from our text is found in just those two verses. And here's the first truth I want you to take note of. God cannot tolerate sin. One of the messages that John is going to bring to us, one of the things that, and the truths that he wants us to understand is that God cannot tolerate sin. When we come to verse 5, we're actually jumping into the middle of a conversation. John has, in the first four verses, already given an introduction to his audience. But it wasn't just a, hey guys, it's me, John, I'm here to write to you. There's so much more in those first four verses that we need to understand because it's kind of the foundation upon which John builds his whole argument. Everything that he's going to say to us in verses 5 and following is built on what he told them back in verses 1 through 4. And so what does John reveal in verses 1 through 4? I can sum it up in one word. Jesus. He builds and reveals Jesus. Notice what he says there at the beginning of verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. Concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to John is revealing Jesus. He's building this foundation, and the foundation that he is building upon is none other than Jesus alone. John tells these believers that the message that he brings to him is not John's message. It's God's message. It's not John's words to them. It's God's words to them. And notice how he said it there in verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him, and declare to you 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 see those that john was writing this letter to they didn't need to hear from john they didn't need to hear what john had to say to them they didn't need john's advice they needed to hear what god had to say to them in the middle of their trauma in the middle of all that was going on around them they needed to know john what does god have to say to us and i would say the same thing to us this morning we don't need to hear from pastor joe we don't need to hear what Pastor Joe has to say. What you and I need to hear this morning is, God, what do you have to say to us? And you say, why, why? For the very same reason that John's audience didn't need to hear what John had to say to them. You see, a message rooted in John's or Joe's mind or a message rooted in John's or Joe's experience or wisdom or knowledge, it contains no power no authority not that john or joe don't want to be helpful we simply lack the authority that we need on our own but here's the beauty of what john writes here and what i proclaim to you this morning the message is not mine it's not ours it's god's and for that reason it can be trusted The message which John communicated to these disciples and the message which I want to bring to you this morning is sourced, it's plugged into, it comes directly from God himself. These are not John's or Joe's words, these are God's. So what exactly does God reveal through John? First, that God cannot tolerate sin. And he means God cannot tolerate sin. In fact, John says that sin is incompatible with God. It it cannot coexist. Sin is incompatible with God's. They are polar opposite. It it would be kind of like saying it's freezing boiling in here. Freezing boiling. Those are completely contradictory terms. They can't coexist in the same place. But the imagery that John uses is not that of temperature. It's of light and darkness. He said in verse 5, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, lightness and darkness are pretty familiar concepts to almost all of us in this room because almost all of us have the use of at least one of our eyes. We have sight. We've been blessed by that. And so we understand intellectually and experientially what it is to be in light, and we've experienced darkness. You know what the interesting thing about light and darkness is? They can't coexist. Where there is light, there is not darkness. If you have light, you do not have darkness. And the opposite is true. If you have darkness, you have no light. In fact, light drives out darkness. If we were able to turn all the lights off in here, we were able to block all the windows up and get it pitch black in here, and I lit a tiny teacup candle right here, you'd see that light. Because it drives out the darkness. The two cannot coexist together. And this is what John says, where God is, sin is not. The two are incompatible with one another. And that's what John says about God and sin in verses 5-7. Where God is, there is no sin. God is incapable of sin. It's completely contrary to his nature and character. In fact, that's why there's no sin in heaven Sin cannot exist where God is. But there's something else that John teaches us in verses 6 and 7 that I want you to see. Not only is sin incompatible with God, sin is inconsistent in the lives of God's people. Sin is inconsistent in the lives of God's people. Now, unlike God, it is not only possible for us to sin, it's probable for us to sin, right? You know as well as I do that not a single one of us in this room are able to go one day without sinning unless we're in a hospital comatose somewhere. It's not only possible for us to sin, it's probable that we will sin. But God's word makes it clear that sin is inconsistent with the life of a child of God. Verse 6, he said, if we say we have fellowship with him, meaning God, and walk in darkness, meaning sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what the Bible is teaching here because I've had people read this and they come to me with these questions, Pastor Joe, does this mean that I'm not sinned because I look at my life and I know I mess up every single day? There's not a day in my life where I don't sin. So does this mean that I'm really not saved? And they're concerned and they're worried Be clear, verse 6 teaches that there is a problem with the person who claims to be in fellowship with God but who sins, but it does not teach that the person who is in fellowship with God will be sinless. If you did that, if you were sinless, you know who you would be? You'd be God. And newsflash, you're not God. So what does verse 6 teach, you say, Pastor Joe? Let me draw your attention to two particular phrases. Two particular phrases. That first one is, walk in darkness. And the second one is, practice the truth. Walk in darkness, practice the truth. You see, those are not merely one-time activities. They are referring to a pattern. They are referring to a way of life. And so what God is saying to us here is simply this. If the pattern of your life is habitually to walk in sin, then you need to question whether or not you have a real relationship with him. Because those who are in Christ, the pattern of their life is not to habitually walk into sin. Why? Because sin is inconsistent with the life of God's people. God detests and he abhors sin. So it makes sense that those who have repented of their sin and put their faith and trust in him would want to stay as far away from that as they possibly could because they know it does not please him. And they want to please him. Incidentally, I want you to notice something else that we see in verse 7. John says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, notice this. We have fellowship with one another. Hey, John is saying this, if if you and I are in right relationship with God, guess what we're also going to be? In right relationship with one another. And so the opposite of that is true. That if there's problems in our relationships with one another, with other believers, if we examine our lives and we see inconsistencies, if we see conflict between other believers, we need to stop and ask ourselves, how's my relationship with God doing? And the reason may be that there is some sin in our lives that we have allowed to creep in, and that's creating the relational conflict with other believers. Now, it may be true that the sin is not on our part. It may be on their part. But where do you and I start? Right here with me. Examine our lives. Because if we're in right relationship with God, we're going to be in right relationship with other believers here's what I want you to see. verses 5 through 7, we see God cannot tolerate sin. It is incompatible with who he is, and it's inconsistent in our lives. But there's something else here that I want you to notice. Verse 8, pick up there with me. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Here's the second truth I want you to see. Not only can God not tolerate sin, the good news is God can forgive sin. The good news is God can forgive sin no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how great your sin or how long you've persisted in it, forgiveness from God, I want you to understand this morning, is available no matter who you are or what you've done. I don't know about you, but to me that is a great and a glorious truth that gives me a sigh of relief. And this is why I wanted you to understand why it's so important that the basis of John's message is God and not John. The basis, the authority, the reason we can trust this message, what John is proclaiming to us, the reason is because it was God's message and not John's message. If it was John's message or if it was Pastor Joe's message and it was rooted in our knowledge or our authority, then we don't have any solid basis for trusting it. You've learned in life that being able to trust the source matters when it comes to a message, right? You've learned how important it is to be able to trust the source of a message. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that one of my children come up to you and they said, my dad wants you to take me to Dairy Queen and get me an ice cream cone. You're immediately presented with a dilemma, do I trust that this, re- this message really is from Pastor Joe or is this just one of his kids trying to get a ploy and get an ice cream cone? You're faced with that dilemma. Kind of depends on which kid it is too, right? Yeah. But the dilemma is this. Do I trust the source of the message? In my silly illustration, you know what fixes the whole problem? If I come myself and say, hey, would you mind taking my daughter up to Dairy Queen and getting her ice cream cone? If I myself come and I bring the message, you trust that it came from the source. When it comes to this, we trust the words not because John brought them. We trust them because they are God's words that John simply communicated. They're God's message because he is the source of its authority. I tell you this, if any mere man had come up with this message, we would have reason to question its authenticity and we would have reason to question its truthfulness. But this is God's message. This is God's revelation of himself. This is God's truth. And it is a truth that enables all of us to breathe a monstrous sigh of relief. You say, well, how exactly does it enable us to do that? We've already seen the problem. We've already seen our predicament. We've already seen that God cannot tolerate sin, that it's incompatible with his nature and character, and it's inconsistent in the lives of believers. We've already seen that God cannot tolerate sin, and yet we know ourselves. We know that the scripture is true that says, for all is sin and fallen short of the glory of God, and we consider ourselves. We know we're in that group. We know we've blown it. And we know the Bible is true when it says that the wages of sin or the payment that we have earned rightly for doing that sin is death. We know that is us. That's the bad news. It's kind of like we're deep out in the sea in some monster storm that has capsized our boat, and we're being tossed in between these monstrous waves back and forth back and forth we know we're in trouble we know we need rescue we know that if someone doesn't come and pluck us out of there we're done for but then all of a sudden out of nowhere comes this life ring thrown our way it's been sent to us offering a way of escape that's what you have here in 1 John hope in a life ring being thrown out to you And that hope is found in this truth, this simple truth that God forgives sin. God can forgive whatever you have done, no matter how bad it is. I want you to notice, though, what is required in order to receive that hope, to receive God's forgiveness. Look with me again there at verse 8. He says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, meaning God, a liar, and his word is not in us. And so you need to understand this. God can forgive sin, but not if it is denied. Yes, God can forgive sin. Yes, it doesn't matter how bad it was. Yes, it doesn't matter how long you did it. God can forgive it, but he can't forgive it if it's been denied. And the person who is not willing to admit that they have sin in their life and will not receive God's forgiveness for that sin. We live in a world where people struggle to admit their failure, right? They come up with all kinds of reasons. term that excuses, really. All kinds of reasons why they can shift the blame to someone or something else, why it wasn't their fault. They deny any sort of wrongdoing whatsoever. You guys, it's human nature to want to pass the blame but we need to recognize that the ten- that tendency in our lives is going to hurt us when it comes to receiving God's forgiveness for sin. And before you try and say, this isn't you, before you try to say, well, I never deny that I'm a sinner, I have sinned, before you try and say that, let me ask you to consider, are there times in your life where you have downplayed or dismissed your sin? Have you kind of written it off with, yeah, I did it, but it really is not that big of a deal. I mean, it's not as bad as blank and fill in the blank with whatever you want. You see, when we downplay or when we diminish or when we dismiss our sin, we are in effect denying our sin. And if we dismiss or deny our sin, we will not experience God's forgiveness, but it gets worse. It gets worse. You say, well, Pastor Joe, how in the world can it get worse? You see, when we dismiss or deny our sin, do you know what we're actually doing? We are compounding or adding on to our sin. You say, well, how do you see that? Notice what John says there at the end of verse 8. The truth is not in, us. in other words, we are guilty of adding lying now on top of all things to our account. We deny our sin. We're actually lying and adding that sin to our account now. So we're now actually in a worse predicament. If we deny our sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And we are robbing ourselves of the very thing that you and I desperately need. God's forgiveness. That's what we need And we can't have it, we can't access it because we're denying that we're even sinful in the first place. God can forgive sin, but not if it's denied. So what is required in order to receive God's forgiveness? One word, confession. Confession. God can forgive sin only if it is confessed. God can forgive any sin, all sin, only if it's confessed. Now, that word that is translated as confess in our English language there in verse 9 is actually two different Greek words smashed together. There's a Greek compound word, and it comes from the word to speak or to say and the other word, the same. And so quite literally, the word confess literally means to say the same. It means to agree with. Let me put it this way. And I'm going to ask you to take a stand here by a show of hands. I don't know this is, I don't know. Put me on a spot, Pastor Joe. I don't know if I like that or not. I want, to, I want to take a stand here. How many of you, by a show of hands, would agree with this statement? Apple products are superior to Android products. Okay, we're in a minority. Okay, y'all can put your hands up. Look, (laughs) here's what I want you to see. And here's a reason for all of this. Those of you who raised your hand, you came into agreement with me regarding my statement. Now, the rest of you are just wrong, but that's okay. (laughs) You came into agreement with the statement. And I want you to see that because that's exactly what God wants us to do with our sin we come into agreement with him regarding that which we have done. So the thought that we have had, the word that we have said, the action that we've taken or the attitude that we have held that does not line up with God's word, when we realize it, when God convicts us of that, when he shows it to us in his word, we come to him, we come into agreement, we say, God, yes, I did that. You say it's wrong. I agree with you. It's wrong. Do you see how confession is so much more than just saying some words? It's coming into agreement with God, recognizing that what we have done offends a holy God. We say the same as him. Confession is the key that unlocks God's forgiveness. You want God's forgiveness in your life? You want his forgiveness for your sin? Confession is the key. God can forgive sin only if it's confessed. I'd be honest with you, and I I would share with you this morning, 1 John 1, 9 is one of my absolute favorite verses in all of Scripture. I love it. And there have been countless times in my life that God has used this to encourage me. When I've been struggling, when I've felt down, when i felt low, when I'm struggling in my sin, God has used this verse to encourage me so much. I want you to notice exactly what confession brings to the one who humbly offers it. Draw your attention there again to verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, confession brings forgiveness; it brings cleansing. Forgiveness is that action of God that is like canceling your debt. It removes your debt that you incurred by the sin that you committed. You remember that verse we that we referenced earlier, Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death your sin and my sin it incurred a debt that we could not pay but it's a debt that had to be paid you need to understand that when you and i confess god literally takes that debt and he forgives it he cancels it It, the, the word there in the greek literally means to let permit pass god was the one to whom the debt was owed and only god is the one who can forgive that debt, But if you'll notice, he didn't just forgive. He didn't just cancel that debt. The Bible says he is also just. He is faithful and just. That word means that God always does that which is right. And here's why that's important. It means that God could not simply sweep our sin under the rug and pretend that it did not happen. God cannot say, oh yeah, I know you did that, so we're just going gonna to pretend that you never did it. No, that would violate God's justice. That would not be God doing what is right because it would be contr- contradicting his, him and his word when he says the wages of sin is death. It must be paid for. I have people ask me frequently, Pastor Joe, was the cross the only way God could have done it? Wasn't there some other way? Couldn't he have picked some other form to bring salvation? And the answer is simple. No, he couldn't. God is just. Sin demands payment. God had to offer payment. Notice what he says there in verse 7. This is why he tells us in verse 7 that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, it was necessary. The cross was necessary for God to be able to offer forgiveness to you and to me because only the death of Jesus on the cross, only the blood that he shed can cover over sin. I so desperately want you to understand this morning that God can forgive sin, but the only reason He can is because Jesus went to that cross and He died. He satisfied the payment required by our sin. And because He was willing to offer it, God can both forgive and be just at the same time. I can't help but wonder if there is someone here in the room this morning. The needs to take these truths and make them personal for yourself you're like that person I described earlier out at sea in the storm-tossed waves knowing that it's just a matter of time before you sink and you drown you're in the depths of your sin paying the consequences for your sin living for yourself you've wondered before is there any hope even for me you've heard this message before yes God forgives sin but you've wondered deep down in your mind could he really mean for me and maybe you feel like you've gone too far you've done too much maybe you felt like you're past the point of forgiveness please hear me if that's you please please hear me it is not too late you are not too far gone there is hope because jesus's offer is for you you know as well as i do That if that person in the sea in the storm-tossed waves doesn't accept the life ring, they're not going to be rescued. They're going to drown if they don't receive the life ring. In the same way, I want you to understand that there is a Savior you must receive. He can forgive you your sin, no matter what it is, no matter what you've done. He can forgive it, but you must receive the Savior. His name is Jesus. He came to this earth, lived the perfect life that God demands of us, went to the cross, died there as your and my substitute, our sacrifice, paying the price for our sin, rising victorious on the third day, defeating sin and death, so that God could then offer to you and to me this gift of forgiveness and eternal life. It's available for you no matter what you've done. Will you receive it this morning? If you're here this morning, you need to. I want to encourage you to do so before you leave here today. If you're in the room, the simplest way to do that is simply find me after this service. Say, Pastor Joe, I, I, I think that that's me. Or if you've got more questions about it, I'm not quite sure, I've got more questions, find me before you leave. I'd love to talk with you about how you can have that. If you're watching us online, send a message to that number you got earlier, that 786 number, send a message and tell us. We want to get this message to you. Doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, God can forgive. Sin. But I want to draw your attention to something else that John said there there in verse 9. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross doesn't just make forgiveness possible. It doesn't just cancel the debt. It also cleanses from sin. It's like that teacher taking the wash rag and wiping that board and removing every residue, all that chalk residue, removing it. Jesus' blood cleanses us from sin. God doesn't just cancel our debt. He removes, removes every trace of unrighteousness. He gives us the clean slate that we long for. So we've seen so far, God cannot tolerate sin, but he can forgive it. There is one final truth I want to draw your attention to, and we find it beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. Look with me there. He says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And the final truth I want you to notice this morning is this: man can resist sin. It is impossible for any person to resist the sinful temptations that are placed in front of them. I probably lost count of the number of times. When I asked someone why they gave in to some particular sin, I said, Pastor Joe, I just, I just couldn't help it. I mean, I, I'm a sinner after all. I just I couldn't help it. It's almost like there's no way in the world I was ever going to be able to say no to that sin. I had to give in to it. I was forced to. Or even worse, the devil made me do it. You've heard that one before. To that argument, the Apostle Paul says, or the Apostle John says, I beg to differ. I hear you, but you're wrong. He says, you do not have to sin. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. It is entirely possible to be a follower of Jesus and when sinful temptations present themselves to you for you to say no. Why? Because you are no longer slaves to sin. You are slaves to Christ. And Christ lives in you. And Christ gives you the power that when that sinful temptation comes your way, you do not have to say yes. You can say no. And the Apostle Paul tells us how we can tap into that power in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but the life I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The secret to us resisting temptations when they come our way is to be dying to this sinful flesh every single moment of every day and allowing Jesus to live through us. Because I promise you this, you do that, when that sinful temptation comes your way, when it's right there in front of you, if you're in charge, you're probably gonna give in. But if Christ is in charge, there ain't no way in the world he's given into that temptation. You do not have to sin. But I love John. He's so pastoral. He's he's so pastoral. He says, you don't have to sin, but he knows them. Man, he knows us. (laughs) He goes, but if anyone sins, because he knows they're going to, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father who? Jesus. If you blow it. When you blow it. Go to Jesus. Jesus. And what's the key to unlocking forgiveness? Confession. Agree with God. Confession. We can thank God that he has provided us an advocate. And notice John said it wasn't just for those he was writing to, not just a propitiation for our sins, not only for ours, but for the whole world. And that, my friends, is hope. That is why I can breathe a sigh of relief because I know God cannot tolerate sin. It is incompatible with His nature, cannot coexist in His presence. But I know I'm a sinner. I blow it every single day. But I have an advocate who has gone to that cross, laid down His life, sacrificed every drop of blood to cover over my every sin. And when I come into agreement with Him, when I confess my sin, I receive forgiveness, but not just forgiveness. He cleanses my life of all unrighteousness. Every trace of it is removed. And I stand before the Father spotless in Christ. Maybe you hear these truths this morning and it resonates with you. Maybe you hear these truths and you are that person who longs for and needs a clean slate with God. Maybe you've screwed up and you've sinned so much and you just want God to forgive and to cleanse you. I want you to know it's available for you this morning. And listen, this isn't something we do one time, church. Confession and cleansing is not something we do one time. We mess up every single day. When we do, when we sin, what do we do? Confess. That's the key To forgiveness. Confess, repent, return back to Jesus, and find exactly what our hearts and lives long for that clean slate with God. Doesn't matter if it's a second, or a third, or a thousand and third time, it's available. Will you receive it? Father, my prayer this morning is that your message has gone forth with clarity, that there is no doubt in any of our minds regarding your nature, your character, who you are, how pure and how holy you are, and how you cannot coexist with sin. Now, Father, my prayer this morning is that you would draw out, that you would bring to our attention the areas of our life that are incompatible with you. They're inconsistent with your word. Where we fall short, God, where our lives are contrary to what is revealed in your word. Would you bring those to our attention? Lord, that we might confess to agree with you regarding them and turn away from them and turn to you. God, I pray for the person in this room that's never taken that step of faith and trusted in Jesus. They've never made him Lord of their life. Would you convict them of their sin and show them the Savior who loved them enough to die for them and help them, empower and enable them, to let today be the day they place their trust in Jesus to save them. And God, for your people, may a message like this serve to liberate us. May you constantly remind us of our position in you. The enemy wants nothing more than to remind us constantly of our failures and our sins and every single moment where we have blown it. But would you remind us that your word is faithful and true and that if we confess our sin? You are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we revel and rest in that freedom accomplished for us by Jesus. And may it spur us on to living for you all the more. In your name I pray.